Good morning, Pathway Church. Good to see you this morning. And to those of you who are online, it's still waiting to come. We love you and we miss you. And uh, we hope that you're experiencing God's presence and God's love today. I walked in this morning as the praise team was rehearsing. Aren't they great? Wasn't it wonderful this morning? Yeah, absolutely. And they were singing, all my life you have been faithful. And I thought, you know, I've, we've got some folks and friends that are going through some really tough things right now. And I was reminded again that all of my life he has been faithful. I hope he has been for you. I know he has. You may not recognize it, but he has been faithful to you. When Brenda was teaching and we had three children, under the four and under, we kind of had them in a hurry, um, it was kind of a crazy time in our lives. And so I was trying to be a, a good father and a good husband. And so on my day off on Friday, I would sometimes clean the house. I, I didn't clean exactly the way Brenda did. I didn't get in the corners in the shower. I, I didn't do the mirror or the glass door. But, you know, I, I, I thought I did pretty good, you know. And then and Brenda would come home and she'd be so appreciative. And then sometimes on Saturday, I noticed that she was doing some cleaning. And I was feelings were a little hurt, you know, and she'd look at me and she goes, oh, I appreciate it so much, but sometimes we need to do some deep cleaning. And I thought about that in terms of where we are this morning in healing choices. Uh, last Sunday, some of you made commitments to, to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to walk with you, and some of you made commitments to surrender every part of your life to the Lordship of Christ. And these healing choices are kind of a progression as we become, as God, the Holy Spirit works in us to make us the persons that he wants us to be so that he can fulfill his purpose in our lives while we're here. That's pretty important. So week one, we discovered we're not God. We cannot manage our lives alone. Week two, we discovered that God exists, God cares for us, and even more importantly, God has the power to transform us and to change us. Week three, many of you made this statement. I choose to commit, not once, but over and over, all of my life, everything and my will to God's control and care. Why? Because he loves me and he cares for me. This morning we come to a, a kind of a critical place in these healing choices. We've already said we're powerless. We need God's help to, to transform our lives. And we need his forgiveness but what's next? Well, that's the deep cleaning faith part of our lives. Now, I don't claim to be a prophet, but I say with great confidence this truth I know about everyone in this room. We all have some regrets. No? Don't you wish you could have some do-overs on a few things in your life? In the early 2000s, uh, I kind of got into the stock market a little bit, and I, I bought some shares of Google at under 100 bucks, and I sold them. I didn't have very many, but I, I sold them for $364. Wow. And now when I look, and it's $1,515, I, I, I have a few regrets uh, about that. Most of our regrets are much deeper than money and things like that. Some of you fathers wish you had spent more time with your children when they were growing up. You have some regrets about that. 
Some of you husbands and wives wish you had poured more energy into your marriage than you did. And you have some regrets about that. Most of us know something about regrets. As a young pastor, I became friends with a pretty prominent guy in our church. He was a very successful real estate guy and insurance guy. And you could tell he was successful because he had a house on a lake and he was building a bigger house on a bigger lake, you know. (laughs) And we got to know each other and I would meet him sometimes for lunch or I'd sit in his office and we'd talk a little bit. And uh, one time I was sitting there, he began to cry. Well, I knew his story. He had never told me his story, but I knew his story. He had been a pastor at one time, very successful one, flew around the country speaking at conferences, had an affair, kept his marriage together, but left the ministry and went into insurance and real estate. And he said these words to me. He goes, Steve, as I look back on my life, I see all the missed opportunities that that I had with God and with my family. And I would give all this away in a heartbeat if I could go back and redo it and do it over. I wish I could tell you that's an unusual story, but it's not. Many of us know that story. Some of us have lived that story. Today we come to step four of Healing Choices. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God, Matthew 5, 8. The Greek word for blessed is katharis, from which we get the word cathartic. And when you think of a cathartic moment, it it means to cleanse or to purge or to purify. Well, the Greeks use that word catharsis to describe an army being cleansed of all of the cowardly soldiers. So that it was now a clean and a pure army. When Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart... He's not referring to people who have always had pure hearts. If he were, we'd all be disqualified, right? And uh, we we wouldn't be part of his army that he calls us to. That would immediately eliminate us. He's referring to people who have been cleansed. Your heart at one time was filled with hatred or selfishness or envy or jealousy. But it's no longer that way. He's forgiven you. Or maybe you're still living there. But the promise of Jesus is that our hearts can be cleansed, that they can be made pure in his sight. That's a big deal. Happiness does not come from a cynical spirit or an envious spirit or a guilt-ridden spirit. It comes from having a clean heart. And the scriptures tell us if we have a clean heart, we will see God. We will see God's activity in our lives. We will be able to trace his hand. In our history, my wife keeps a journal and sometimes she goes back and she looks at those stories, the sad ones and the happy ones, and sees and can trace God's hand at moments that, at the moment, she couldn't see it. But looking back, she sees it. His fingerprints in our life situations. Now, I realize these words might sound like something a preacher would say, and you say, well, that's not exactly how I'm experiencing life right now, Pastor. That's not exactly what's going on with me from where I'm sitting. The good news is this morning, there's a way to be set free from guilt and regrets and shame and sin. 
to be cleansed so that we can recognize God at work in our lives and to be able to rejoice in that, that all of our lives, he has been faithful. Just imagine a heart cleaned of all the junk and all the stuff that sometimes holds us back and keeps us depressed and makes us sad. The key to a pure heart, if we're ever to know the joy of a pure heart, we have to learn to let go of the guilt and the shame and to accept the forgiveness that God offers us. John Baker in his book talks about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He's the writer of the Sherlock Holmes novels. And Doyle was kind of a prankster. And so one time he wrote to the five most leading people in England. And he said, all has been found out, leave quickly. And within 24 hours, all five men left the country, you know. Guilt is that 900-pound gorilla in our closet. We're always worried that someone will discover our secrets, who we really are. Now, I tend to stay up much later than my wife. And sometimes uh, late at night, I get those hungers. You guys ever get the refrigerator raid kind of thing, you know? And I'm thinking, man, I'd really like to, there's ice cream, you know? And so, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, to keep our weight down and we're working at it. And, and so I, I feel kind of guilty after I indulge and I don't want Brenda to know about it like she won't notice, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be, you know, careful about it. So I always bury the evidence in the bottom of the trash can, you know, so there's no evidence. And one morning, I remember this so clearly. I woke up and Brenda was already up and I remembered the Cheetos were still by the couch and I was found out. I was caught. Why do we struggle with weight? Why do we struggle being faithful to our spouse? Why do we struggle with cheating on exams? Why do we sometimes struggle with pornography? Why do we struggle with old sins in your past that you're fearful somebody might discover? Because we tend to hide them in those dark secret places in our heart. We push them down to the bottom of the trash can. Guilt is like this big weight that we carry around our neck. Guilt damages our relationships. We avoid getting too close to people because they might find us out. Guilt keeps us stuck in our past. We can't deal with present issues because we're still dealing with stuff that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago that holds us hostage. So how do you get free? How do you get this clean heart that Jesus talks about? One of the most incredible messages of the Bible is that God forgives us. God wants to forgive us. God's willing to forgive us. And many of you have asked for that forgiveness. You've received that forgiveness. And we say, hallelujah. But then what comes next? How do I change? How do I get to a better place? I want to change. I need to change. I want to be different in my life. How does that happen? I have a a good friend. He pastored a large church in a city different than where I was living. And he had moved to my city because he had gone through a moral failure in his life. 
and uh, he was not part of the church of God. He was a different uh, tribe, but we were friends, and we would sometimes meet for breakfast. And the first time I met him for breakfast, we sat down, and he shared with me a story of brokenness and failure. I mean, he was pastoring this huge church. It was doing great, and it, it, it blew up, you know. And uh, he told me a story, and as we left, when we got into the parking lot, he goes, do you mind if I take my picture with you? Well, no. He goes, I need to show my wife that I actually had breakfast with you. He was being accountable to his wife. And not too long ago, I, I read this statement by him. He said, six years ago, my family was in shambles. And it was my fault. By grace, we are stronger than ever. And I cried when I read those words. Real change. Real change requires a heart change. And heart change always begins with repentance. Listen to what it says in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of you would like to have some times of refreshing? You know? Well, that, that starts with repentance. And then it goes on to say in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. If you're looking for life change, for a life without guilt and regret, it starts with repentance. Now, I realize that many of you have already done that. You've, you've asked for forgiveness. You've repented of your sins. But sometimes we need a deep cleaning in our hearts. We need to get in the corners. You know? We need to clean the mirrors. To confess literally means to say the same thing. I see sin as the destructive part of my life, just like God sees it. Secondly, we genuinely repent. Then, when possible, we make restitution. If I lie, I tell the truth. If I stole, I give it back. We're going to talk about that part of confession at a, a later healing choice. This morning, I want to look at the coming clean part. This involves a hard look at our lives. What are we doing? Where are we going? Am I growing in my faith? Is there anything between me and the Lord that's keeping me from becoming that person that God wants me to be? Confession is specific. It's not saying, God, forgive me for all my sins. What sins? What did you do? What did you say? What did you fail to say? Who have you not forgiven? That fourth step of life's healing choice is really the basis for the fourth step of AA, or Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps that, you, that people go through. Bill Wilson, who was the founder of AA, calls it taking a fearless and ruthless moral inventory. So how do you do that? Well, you start by writing it down. Why do I need to write down my sins? Why do I need to write down my confessions? Because it forces you to be specific, you know. Who do I need to forgive? Who do I have a bad attitude toward? When I was working on my doctorate, I uh, led a lot of people through this fourth step. 
and I would uh, take their confession as they would share how alcohol or drugs had, had ruined their lives and who they had hurt. And I remember one very distinct guy came in. He probably had on a $1,000 suit. He, he looked really good, and he had 15 handwritten pages. With his head down, he started telling me about numerous affairs, cheating on his wife. And the tears began to flow. And he began to describe in detail the occasions that he had hurt his children, either by being drunk or by being absent or being angry, and he sobbed. For the next two hours, he read those pages, and when he was done, we were both weeping at the pain that had been caused by the brokenness of his life. When you take a moral inventory, you, you have to be specific. List the people by name that you have hurt. List the people by name that you have bad feelings toward or you have not forgiven. List the people who have hurt you and by name and, and how they've hurt you. List the ways you've hurt them and how you have some accountability in that whole process. List the ways those hurts continue to affect you today. You know, they're still part of your uh, personality. They're still part of what you do. The key here is to be honest and to not make excuses. Accept responsibility for your faults. It says in Proverbs 20, 27, the Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves, but we sure try to, don't we? We, we, we don't want to face the man in the mirror. Many times we seek someone else to blame. Well, I know I was grouchy, but I had a bad day. You know, and so you suffer for it. Accepting responsibility means avoiding blaming others. I'm sorry, but if you had not, whenever you say, if you had not, you're not taking responsibility. You're trying to place a blame on someone else. If you're going to ha change, you have to stop deceiving yourself. Now, I want to make a special note here today. If you've experienced in your childhood or by an older adult sexual abuse, simply write as you write those things down, write beside it in bold capitals, not guilty. A few years ago, a beautiful young woman came into my office and she began to read from handwritten papers with her head down and tears flowing, the most horrific sexual abuse I'd ever heard in my ministry. And as she went through it, I heard that familiar phrase, I guess you don't like me very much now. And I was able to raise her head and look her in the eye and say, you are not guilty. It's not your fault. You may be guilty of a lot of sins, but not this one. This is not you. So if you've gone through this, I encourage you to find a good Christian counselor and allow God to heal the harm that's been inflicted on you. Because if you don't, it will follow you into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Deal with it. Discover God's healing for that painful part of your life. I had a wonderful lady that had all kinds of problems, and I began to understand them when she asked me to go visit her father who was in hospice care. 
And then she proceeded to tell me that he abused her as a child. And I thought it was quite remarkable that she wanted me to go see him. I did go see him, and uh, he came to Christ. And in those months before his death, they were able to work through that painful, painful, painful past. I wish I could tell you that always happens. It doesn't. But you need to deal with it if it's happened to you. And the second step is you've got to ask God for forgiveness. If we freely admit, I love, this is J.B. Phillips, if we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable and straightforward. He forgives your sin and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. That's from 1 John 1, 9. I love that. It's not our righteousness that brings about our forgiveness. It's the heart of God. It's his character that's the basis for our forgiveness. John Baker shares about a woman who, while her husband was away, had an affair and became pregnant and had an abortion. She came to Christ. She asked for forgiveness. And then she's saying across from her pastor, she goes, but it doesn't seem fair. Somebody needs to pay for this sin. And he said, somebody already has. His name is Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he died on a cross. For your sins. For my sins. When we've committed those things to him, he is free and just to forgive us of our sins. You don't have to beg or plead for his forgiveness. You don't have to bargain with God for his forgiveness. All you have to do is simply believe and he will forgive you and cleanse you of your sinfulness. And then the fourth step is, I think, the hardest part of this moral inventory. It's a sticking point for a lot of us. Admit your faults to another person. That's always tough, but, but it's essential to set us free from the guilt of our past. I, I like how the message translates James 5, 16. It says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Well, why can't I just pray on my own? Why can't I just tell God? Well, if you could do it on your own, you would have already done it. And sometimes God knows that confessing to someone else is his way of freeing us from our painful past. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard this phrase. Pastor, what I'm getting ready to tell you, I've never told anyone before. And I get excited at that moment. Not because I'm going to hear some juicy tale because I think I've heard about everything you can imagine. I get excited because this person is on their way to freedom from their painful past. Remember watching a movie with a group of guys, and it had a sexual scene, and it was just suggestive. It wasn't overt. And one of the guys said, uh, I'd rather not watch this movie. We said, sure. So we got another movie. And later he said, Steve, I need to tell you, I, I know that wasn't it a bad movie, but I struggle with pornography, and I, I just can't go there. And I thought, wow, that sets him free. He doesn't have to live there anymore and hide this secret 
at the bottom of a trash can. Remember a husband and wife that came into my office after the birth of their third child, and I thought, man, this is going to be a celebration. And instead, there were tears, and they said, 18 years ago, before we were married, we had an abortion. And they had carried that guilt for 18 years. And they'd been in church most of that time, but they had never shared it and allowed God to free them from that issue and it was never closed until they could talk to me and say okay God's got this it's finished it's over who do I tell I'm not suggesting and James certainly isn't suggesting that you just tell anybody I've heard public confessions that almost sounded like bragging instead of confession you have too I'm sure Find someone you absolutely trust in terms of these characteristics, their spiritual walk, their ability to keep absolute confidence, and someone who values and practices what you're trying to do to grow in your faith. It might be a small group member. It might be a youth counselor. It might be a youth pastor. If it's very sensitive information, I suggest you go to a pastor or to a Christian counselor. And then the, this is the important piece. Accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. I meet so many believers who know that God's forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. So they keep walking with that stuff. You know, Let it go. How does God's forgiveness work? It happens instantaneously. There's not a waiting period. He goes, okay, I'm going to check you out for 30 days and see how you do. No, the thief on the cross, he goes, this day. Not tomorrow, not next week. This day. I'm not going to wait to see how sincere you are. It says in Colossians 2.13, let me read this. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us most of our sins. No. He forgave us all of our sins. God's forgiveness is complete. You don't need his forgiveness and something else. It says in Romans 8, 1, one of my favorite verses, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's the steps you need to take. You've got to pray about it. Ask God to, to help you do an honest moral inventory. Write it down. That helps you be specific. I don't care if you tear it up or burn it up later. Write it down. And then share, confess with someone that you trust. And then let God take that weight away from you and set you free. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer that David prayed a few thousand years ago. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want to lead you in a healing prayer. It's one that I use quite often. You'll probably hear me use it several times. I want you to imagine that you're in a big room. It's a place where you live and where you work and where your family is. In that room, there's a trap door. It might be under a rug somewhere. Can you see it there on the floor? 
Inside that trap door are some secrets, the hurts, the painful memories of your life. Maybe you can't even name those hurts, but there's still a sense of sadness or anger or depression in your life that tell you that they're there. I want to ask you to do two things. First, if there's secret sins that you need to confess, I want you to ask God to forgive you right now. Name them in your mind. Next, and this is the scary part, lift up the door. It's dark down there. Jesus says he's the light of the world. Invite him to go down into those dark places. Ask him to touch those wounds and hurts that keep you frustrated and confused. And maybe you can't even name them. You're not even sure what they are. Ask him to remove the guilt and the pain and to replace it with his amazing peace. I want to invite you to pray that prayer every day as you go through this spiritual inventory until the pain is replaced with God's amazing peace. Let him heal your secret hurts. Dear Jesus, you who know us best and love us the most, you know all about the things we try to hide. You know the hurts of our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for sins past and present. Heal our painful memories and give us courage to allow you to address and change old patterns of dealing with life. Patterns that we developed as a protection. Make us pure in heart that we can see your fingerprints all over our lives. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. When Randy told me that this Sunday was Communion Sunday, I was glad to hear it because what a wonderful way to approach this particular subject. See, uh, all the Gospels and Paul talk about this particular practice. When Jesus met with his disciples and they shared together that Last Supper before he went to the cross. And he told them that whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me because it's a reminder of my presence with you. Uh, a week ago, after we had seen Brenda's grandmother, who, uh, Brenda's mother, who is uh, almost 97 now, she's 96 and a half. And after we left, we found out that she had had a heart issue and a couple of blocked arteries and they had to put in stents at 96 and a half. And she did great. But now because of that, she's in quarantine at the assisted living where she is. And, and I've talked to her a couple times and she goes, Steve, I, I feel so alone. I feel so alone. And I said, Esther, you're not alone. You know a Savior who's with you every step of the way. You know, whose love reaches past the darkness and the fear and brings his wonderful presence so if you're going through stuff today, maybe some of you who are at home and you're kind of feeling alone and isolated, don't feel that way. You have his presence with you. Paul tells us every time you do this meal, he doesn't tell you to close your eyes and do the inward thing. He says, look around the room. And because some people were eating fried chicken and not feeding the other people at the love feast. And he goes, you know, look around. Is there anybody that you need to get right with? Is there anything in your heart that you need to fix? That's what we've been talking about. So 
invite the Holy Spirit to examine your life right now and to, to work in you. Now, the trick of this thing is you got to tear the top off. And I just messed it up. Uh, top layer, and you get the wafer. And this is his body, which was broken for us. This morning, as we partake together, please remember that he loves you. He died on a cross for your sins. And because of that, you can know the joy of his salvation. Let's partake together. In like manner, he said, this cup is my blood, which is, is shed for you. Every time you partake of it, remember that you're not alone. I'm with you. It's been 2,000 years now. He's still with us. His spirit dwells in us. As you partake this morning, remember his amazing presence. Father, we are so grateful for your sacrifice that frees us from our painful past and gives us the incredible hope and peace that we can know in Christ. We look forward to knowing that to the last breath we breathe, all these days, all my life, you have been faithful. continue in an attitude of remembrance and worship and let's worship let's respond to what the lord's doing in this moment in us in our lives and let's keep listening to his still small voice let's stand
God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week, church. We love you.